The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. Or was that Kaiser Soze? Well, the killers behind the smiley face murders have reached that level of urban legend. That's if they exist at all. Their alleged victims are all white males in their early to mid-twenties. They go missing after a night out with friends. Weeks later, they're found drowned. They have GHB or some other sedative in their bloodstream. Their wallets and keys are found with them, but they're missing their phones. And in each case, smiley face graffiti can always be found close by. Is it all just coincidence or is something more sinister happening here? I will tell you this, no matter how you think of it, you'll never look at a smiley face the same way again. Good to see you. I'm Chris, and this is True Crime Recaps. Every week, my wife Amy and I are bringing you all the crime in half the time. If that sounds good to you, I hope you'll do us the huge favor of clicking subscribe so we can make this a regular thing. It only takes about a second, but it means the world to us. So, if the idea of a cabal of murder enthusiasts communicating on the dark web to take out white dudes sounds nuts to you, hear the experts out. The theory was first floated in 2008 by two retired New York City cops, Sergeant Kevin Gannon and Detective Anthony Duarte, and criminal justice professor Lee Gilbertson. They believe the Smiley Face Gang is operating in a kill zone stretching from the East Coast to Midwestern college towns. The group could be responsible for at least 40 deaths and as, as many as 100. But then again, they might not exist at all. Let me break this theory down for you. It all started with Patrick McNeil's death in 1997. He was an honors student at Fordham University. And one cold winter's night in February, he went out with some friends to a popular college bar in the city. Witnesses remember him staggering out by himself and wandering down the street, tailed by a mysterious van. And two months later, his body was found floating in the East River, 12 miles from the bar where he was last seen. A Sergeant Kevin Gannon was assigned to his case. Patrick's cause of death was ruled undetermined, but his parents were sure he had been murdered. And the sergeant agreed. For Patrick to get himself close enough to fall in the river that night, he would have had to navigate over two fences and cross a busy expressway. It would have been an impossible feat to do sober, much less drunk. But that's not the only reason why this looks more like murder. Fly larvae were found on his body, and flies don't lay eggs in cold water. His autopsy report also revealed some injuries on his body that are consistent with burn and binding marks. It's believed that Patrick was stalked, abducted, held for an extended period of time, murdered, and disposed of. Since then, dozens of college-age guys, just like Patrick, have been found dead in bodies of water across 25 cities in 11 different states. And 94% of those deaths happened within 100 miles of Interstate 94, according to Milwaukee Magazine. And in city after city, an evil, happy smiley face symbol was found near the places where the bodies went into the water. Now take the mysterious death of Tommy Booth. He was a 24-year-old contractor from Wilmington, Delaware. He went missing on January 19, 2008, after a night out at a bar in Ridley Township, Pennsylvania, about a half an hour away. A video surveillance captured him walking in with a group of friends to celebrate a 21st birthday, but for some strange reason, he wasn't caught on camera walking out. No one saw him leave. It was like he disappeared. Two weeks after that night, his body turned up in the creek 30 yards behind the bar where he was last seen. 
A small amount of Xanax was found in his system, so where did he get it? None of his friends gave it to him, and he didn't have a prescription for it. But since there was no evidence of any obvious trauma to the body, his death was chalked up to an accidental drowning. Now, that actually brings up another question. How did he get messed up enough to fall into the water? The friends that were with him that night say he didn't have a lot to drink. Definitely not enough to make him fall down drunk. And why was he near the water at all? His family was shocked to learn that Tommy was found in the creek. He had a lifelong hatred of water, and he wouldn't have wandered down by the creek no matter how out of it he might have been, especially not on a cold January night. So where was he for those lost two weeks? In his case, like the others thought to be a part of the smiley face murders, his body wasn't consistent with the way it would look if he really was in the water for those 14 days. For one thing, there was only a little decomposition, and he was still in full rigor mortis. Now, if you're not a trained medical examiner, you might be interested to know that rigor mortis sets in 10 to 12 hours after death and lasts for about the same amount of time. So you can see why everyone involved thought it was very suspicious to find his body that way after two weeks gone. His wallet, money, and ID were all still on him, but his cell phone was never found. And if all that didn't sound strange enough, listen to this. Painted on the bar's back wall, underneath the party deck, was the group's twisted calling card, a smiley face. It was wearing a crown. In Tommy's case, the local police didn't totally reject the smiley face theory. One higher-up said it actually checked some boxes. For example, a drag mark with shoe prints on either side of it could be seen in the creek above Tommy's head and shoulders. It looked like someone had dragged his body through the creek by his feet. Even before they heard of a smiley face killer, they thought the circumstances were puzzling, to say the least and his family never believed for a second that his death was an accident. And they're not alone. In Boston, six hours northeast, William Hurley's friends and family are wondering how he came to be found in the Charles River six days after he was reported missing. And just like the others, his story is bizarre. The 24-year-old went to a hockey game with some friends on October 8, 2009, but he left the game early and called his fiance for a ride. But when she pulled up, he wasn't in the spot where he said he'd be, and he wasn't alone. When she called him back, she heard him ask someone nearby where he was. As he gave her the new coordinates, he warned her that his phone was about to die. Now, that was the last thing she ever heard him say. The final location he gave her was only about a minute away, but by the time she got there, he was already gone. She drove around the area for the next hour, but he had disappeared, and he wasn't answering her calls. Six days later, his body was found in the river, 20 minutes away and about a mile upstream from the last place he was supposed to be. So, are we really supposed to believe he walked there for some reason? And why would he leave the stadium knowing his fiancée was on her way to pick him up? An autopsy revealed blunt force trauma to the head, the back of his leg, and his eye. Now, friends say he had less than one beer at the game, but there was a lot of alcohol and GHB in his system. However, for lack of other evidence or eyewitnesses, his death was classified as an accidental drowning. The story of 23-year-old grad student Dakota James unfolded a lot like William Hurley's. Just before Christmas in December 2016, Dakota called a friend for a ride home after a night out in Pittsburgh. When she pulled up, she saw a dark SUV double-parked in the wrong lane, 
facing the wrong direction. Dakota was heading straight for it. So she screamed his name and he reversed course and got in her car instead. And he didn't seem drunk. He wasn't slurring his words or staggering, but he had no idea where he was or how he'd gotten there. And the last thing he remembered was leaving his office holiday party four hours earlier to go out with some coworkers. Five weeks later, he disappeared after a similar night out. Forty days after that, his body was found floating in the river 10 miles from the place where he was last seen. And his death was called an accidental drowning, and police say he probably fell into the river while crossing a bridge on his way home. But here's why retired Sergeant Gannon and his team thinks Dakota's death is connected to the Smiley Face murders. He had crossed that bridge after a night out at least a hundred times, and on the night in question, he was bar hopping with friends, but he wasn't falling down drunk. And not only that, he was missing for more than a month, but his body showed only three days worth of decomposition. And if the currents had pushed him to the place where he was found, he would have had to somehow pass through a concrete dam on the way but there was no damage to indicate that it happened. Autopsy reports revealed GHB in his system, and there were marks on his neck that looked like he'd been tied up. And there's one more thing. On the bridge closest to the spot where his body was found, 11 smiley faces were painted there. Now, I don't know about you, but my gut says something weird is going on. And then there's Chris Jenkins. Four years after he was found in the Mississippi River, his cause of death was changed from an accident to homicide. And Chris was a lacrosse-playing star student at the University of Minnesota. He vanished from a tavern in downtown Minneapolis on Halloween night in 2002. He was seen wandering away without his wallet or his coat. He was only wearing a thin, brown, felt American Indian costume. Four months later, his body was found in the icy river, and someone had folded his hands across his chest. But other than that, there were no obvious signs of foul play, and his death was ruled an accidental drowning. Then, two years later, the cops changed their mind and reclassified his death as murder. Now, why did they do that? A woman said her brother, Jeremy Alford, was bragging about the time he tossed a college kid dressed as an Indian off a bridge, and Jeremy happened to be a convicted killer. And by the time she came forward in 2007, Jeremy was already behind bars for life after he and his brother Lewis killed a Minnesota man named Douglas Miller. Jeremy has also hinted to the FBI that the gang he used to run with, the Dealers of Death, are responsible for dozens of murders that have been ruled accidental drownings. And a major player in that gang went by the name Zmiley, according to an investigation done by Milwaukee Magazine. So, if there's any truth to the idea that the dealers of death are connected to the Smiley Face murders, then can we speculate that a Chicago area cell was responsible for taking the life of Brian Welsing six hours away? He's another alleged victim of the Smiley Face killers, and his case was also reopened. Brian disappeared after a night of bar hopping in Chicago on New Year's Eve 1999. Witnesses say he wasn't drinking much, but he was throwing up like he was pounding them down. He was missing for 70 days before his body was found, 30 miles south in Gary, Indiana. And just like the others, there were no obvious signs of foul play. His blood alcohol level was just above the legal limit to drive, and unfortunately, he wasn't tested for GHB, so we don't know for sure that he was drugged. But the fact that he was violently ill sure does point to that. It's also hard to know if a smiley face was painted anywhere near the spot he was found since no one knew to check for it at the time. 
So why would anyone want to hurt these guys? Well, the men at the center of this theory think the murders are motivated by jealousy and a shared rage toward white college-age guys. And they believe the guys are drugged and lured away, then held captive for varying amounts of time before they're killed and their bodies are dumped in the water to remove any remaining evidence pointing back to them. Now, I don't know about you, but if the Smiley Face gang really does exist, well, my money's on a group of women. I mean, who better to lure a 20-something guy away from his friends? And a group of women might just consider it poetic justice to dose them with a sedative first, since it's typically women who find themselves on the business end of a date rape drug. But then again, maybe it's all garbage. I mean, the idea that a gang of serial killers could be playing a macabre game with people's lives. Well, what do you think? Is it really possible outside of Netflix? The FBI and most law enforcement are skeptical, and the Center for Homicide Research straight up thinks it's hooey. They even put together an entire presentation with 18 reasons why they believe this is nothing but a series of strange coincidences. All right, here we go. In no particular order, reason number one, there's no way of knowing when the smiley faces were painted. Some of them look fresh, others look like they've been there a while, long before a body turned up. Reasons number two through five dive even deeper into the graffiti. For one thing, smiley faces are easy to draw and they're a popular choice for most people who find themselves in front of a wall holding a can of spray paint. Plus, there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to them. They're not all the same color, the same style, or even the same design. Some have devil horns, some are wearing a crown, others are totally different. And there's no agreed-upon formula for how far from the body dump site they should be to signal a crime scene. You know what they say. If you're looking for something, you'll find it. And I promise you, after this episode, you're going to start seeing smiley faces everywhere if you're anything like us. So how is anyone supposed to know if they're silly or sinister? There's nothing saying that if a smiley face is found 10 feet from a body of water, it means a college guy was murdered there. You see what I mean? Then, there's the state of the bodies themselves. In most cases, the cause of death was ruled either undetermined or accidental because no other trauma could be easily seen. Plus, homicidal drownings are incredibly rare. They cite a study that says murder by drowning only accounts for two-tenths of one percent of all the murders in America, and those victims are usually little kids drowned by one or more of their parents. And you've probably also been thinking about the fact that all the cases we're covering today all happened in the late fall and winter. Well, the Center for Homicide Research is thinking the same thoughts. The freezing cold water temperatures might explain why decomposition didn't fit the timeline in most cases. All in all, they think the drownings are exactly what they look like. Drunk college guys wandered into a nearby body of water and drowned. And that's all good and fine, but we can't discount the red flags flying around some of these cases. Guys who hated water yet ended up dead in it. Guys who had no reason to leave their friends who ended up missing for weeks or months before being found in the water. Guys who were actively trying to meet a loved one for a ride home who somehow found their way into the water. It makes sense, and yet it doesn't. Which is really the evil genius of the killers, if there is a group of organized murderers responsible for some of these deaths. Like Kaiser Sose, the smiley face killers have become something of an urban legend. Sinister figures who may or may not be real. 
And personally, we go back and forth on this one. On the one hand, it seems insane. There was a time when I wouldn't have believed it for a moment, but the longer I do this, the more I discover that people are capable of crazy evil things that don't seem possible. So I'm keeping an open mind with a healthy dose of skepticism. Now, there's also one more option. These deaths were murder, but they're not connected to each other. And what are your thoughts on this? Do you think the smiley face murders are real? Are these cases connected? Or are they what they appear to be? Bizarre and tragic, but at the end of the day, the only killer here is Mr. Al Hall. Let us know what you think in the comments. And while you're getting your thoughts together, I want to say thanks again for spending your time with me today. It really means a lot to us. Amy and I are here every week with new recaps. So until next time, take care.